I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, the author of the Thoughts on Money blog, and your host for this podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about an article I wrote called Learning How to Fish. You have heard the saying, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. The whole idea behind this quote, this idea that if you can teach somebody the process and you can educate them on how to do something, what can they then do with it? They can then go out and do it on their own. I was thinking a lot about this blog and why I started it and what it was all about and the reasoning. And at the core of it, I feel like the financial world has a lot of complexities to it, but it doesn't need to be that complex. So I wanted to take these esoteric or complex subjects and try to boil them down for my readers in a more palatable way. I also wanted a platform where I could answer common investor questions. And I believe we're achieving that, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Here's one problem that I've kind of come across, though, is the blog doesn't really allow me to make a personal recommendation to my readers. And the reason that is, is because with financial planning, it always needs to be tailored to the individual. Everybody has their own unique circumstances, and that can range from the things that are really top of mind, right, like their liquidity needs or their tax situation or their risk tolerance or their family dynamics, right? So we all are like snowflakes, right? We all kind of look similar on the outside, but when you zoom in, it's unique and everybody has their own circumstances. So that makes it hard, problematic, right? When you're writing a blog or you're doing a podcast and you kind of want to talk about this very specific subject and you would love this idea of giving somebody a recommendation or kind of uh, leading them to figure out what they need to do on their own life. But What you have to do is you kind of have to teach people to fish. And what I wanted to dedicate this article to was this idea of teaching people how to fish. And what I mean by that is that each financial decision that you make, there's always a fork in the road Uh, or maybe even more than a fork. Like there's three or four or five different opportunities or, or paths that you can go down. And what I always tell people is that when you're making a financial decision, big or small, you should put all the options on the table compare them to one another, and try to figure out what puzzle piece fits best for what you're trying to achieve. So I want to try to do that with you today. Now, if you read the article I wrote last week, I talked about this idea that we as investors, we have to be adaptable, right? We have to look at the environment and the circumstances that we're in, and we have to adjust our financial plan to fit that environment. I specifically talked about how we're in an environment where interest rates are basically zero. And I broke that down to say, hey, what does that mean when we're talking about adapting when it comes to our own risk tolerance, when it comes to how we manage cash, and when it comes to our perception and management of our own balance sheet? What does a zero rate interest environment mean for those particulars? Now, a lot of the time, including last week's article, I kind of give you some ideas of how you should be thinking, but then sometimes I cap it off with, hey, now I'm going to do a baton pass. You should really talk to your advisor about this. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to show you as an advisor 
a little bit of my world. I'm going to pull back the curtain and show you my thought process with the hope that you can apply that same thought process to whatever financial decision you're measuring or you're trying to answer. So for this example, I wanted to take this idea of cash management and say, okay, we know we're in a zero interest rate environment um, and we know that historically all of us have a comfortability for how much we want to have in our emergency fund or in our checking or savings account, and we've become accustomed to that. But historically, we were usually had a slight reward for that prudence, right? We'd set aside, I don't know, fill in the blank, 30000 50000 a million dollars, whatever it is, in your savings account. At your local bank, you'd pick a high-yield savings or a money market account, and you were given whatever it might be, a 1% or a 2% interest rate. I mean, if we went further back and we were in the 80s at the Carter administration uh, where this hyperinflation was happening, you might have been getting 10% on a CD. Uh, it, it depended on the environment that you're in. But today, we find ourselves where if it's your traditional bank, you're basically getting zero. And that's been true for the last like five or six years. Um and you've seen this transition where people are like, okay, I'm going to kind of break away from my traditional bank for my my high-yield savings or my money market account, and I'm going to start shopping these online banks to see what promotional rates or incentives that they would offer me to park my cash there. And for the last couple of years, that's worked, right? There were places that would give you 2% or 1.5%. And you know, if you think on a relative basis, it was a lot more than you were getting from your traditional institution. The problem we come to today is that even those incentive offers and uh, online advertisements have kind of disappeared because ultimately, if they're paying you that interest rate on the other side of their balance sheet, they have to have assets and government treasuries and things like that that are backing that interest payment. And right now, a 10-year government treasury might be yielding a half a percent or three quarters of a percent. So there's not really room for them to do those short-term high interest rate savings accounts. So now this person that normally had it at their bank, then they transitioned and they pivoted and they adapted to shopping online banks. Now that opportunity has been shored up. So what does somebody do with this cash? And that's where I want to take you through this idea of a thought process behind financial planning. So we need to break down why in the world did we have this cash allocation in the first place? Well, Financial Planning 101 labels that account an emergency fund. It's basically saying if something comes up, taxes, car needs to be fixed, um, medical bill, something unexpected, you want easy access to money that can cover that expense without any headache. Um, you know, maybe your normal cash flow, your income, your paycheck is already covered with expenses, and there's a, a, a normal rhythm to that. This money is set aside, call it rainy day fund, emergency fund, whatever you want. So you knew that there was a couple attributes of that allocation that were important. One, it was easy to access. Two, the value was stable. And three, you were getting some sort of interest rate on it. So those three things satisfied your needs. Cash, stable value, right? Stays the, the same amount um, whenever you look at the account. It doesn't fluctuate. It doesn't have volatility. Uh, second, um, you can easy access, right? You can go to an ATM machine. You could write a check, whatever you need to do. In the world of finance, we call that liquidity. You can easily 
Well, liquidity, I guess, means you can easily convert it to cash, and then we know cash can be spent on goods or services. So you understand what I mean. And then that third part is, like I said, you are getting a slight reward in the form of a yield or an interest rate in that account. So if you're going to try to figure out a way to substitute that cash allocation, you need to fulfill those three objectives. You need to make it easy to access. You need to make sure that it is has some sort of interest rate if you're trying to replace it with something better. Um, and you need to make sure that the value is stable. So is there a financial instrument out there where I can accomplish those three objectives? Let's go through that. So the first step in the process is define the problem. Well, the problem is, is that cash doesn't give interest rate. So you're trying to find a substitute where you can get interest uh, while still keeping, like I said, that stable value and easy access to money. The next step in the process is identify the objectives, which we just did. Those are the three objectives. And now we got to present this potential solution that might solve for this problem we're trying to solve for. Okay, well, one thing you have to know is that in economics, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So you're, you're really not going to find something that's an exact substitute where it's just as easy to access the money and the value is just as stable and you get an interest rate. It's just not going to be like that. If you're going to look at a replacement or a substitute, it's going to have minor differences. Again, that primary problem we're trying to solve is get interest on our cash. So let's just talk about that. Let's set up a, a spectrum of risk. On one end of the spectrum is cash, and on the other end of the spectrum is stocks. We know if we go incrementally up that spectrum scale on risk, um, a little bit more risk should mean a little bit more reward. So one notch up from cash would be high-quality bonds. So think high-quality municipal bonds or uh, AAA-rated high-quality corporate bonds, uh, things that are short in nature and uh, pay some sort of interest rate, and they're lent from reputable municipalities or corporations. Uh, so what happens when you go up one notch on the risk spectrum? Well, you're going to lose a little bit of that stability, right? Because the price is going to fluctuate up or down every day. So that's a reality. So if you're going to replace some of your cash allocation with these high-quality bonds, you first have to be okay with the fact that the stability and the value is going to be a little bit different. It's not astronomically different, but it's different. So you got to be okay with that. Secondly, um, you're compensated, right? There's an interest rate. Maybe that interest rate might be one and a half, might be 2%. If you're looking at municipal bonds, you also have to factor in that there will be a benefit that it's tax-free interest. A lot of people don't consider this, but if you had an online bank account and they were paying you 1% and your tax rate is, I don't know, 30%, well, you're really only getting 0.7, right? Because Uncle Sam was taking the other part. When you start to look at municipal bonds that could pay tax-free income, well, you would keep 100 cents on the dollar. So there's a benefit when you compare the two. Okay, so you got an interest rate. Uh, you gave up a little bit of stability. What was the third thing we talked about? Easy to access. So I'll tell you right now, uh, going to an ATM machine and getting cash out is much easier, higher level of liquidity, than trying to sell a bond, convert it to cash, and then spend that cash. Best case scenario, you're going to have to go buy, find a buyer of those bonds that you own. They're going to purchase them, and then there's going to be some sort of settlement before you get the cash. And because the value is not as stable as cash, there's a little bit of risk there that uh, if the value is minorly depressed, then you wouldn't have as much money as you originally put into it. 
So really, if we're going to come up with a substitute or solution for our cash allocation, then we, we have to incorporate another financial tool along with those bonds, those high-quality bonds, to solve for that what we called liquidity problem that cash was very much fulfilling. So what we talked about in the article, and again, not a recommendation, this is just taking through a hypothetical situation, is that an investor could get a portfolio line of credit. So they could open an additional portfolio line of credit where the portfolio of their investments is the collateral that allows them access to money. A lot of these lines of credit are really low cost right now, where you might be able to get an interest rate of 1.25% or something of that nature. The benefit that that provides for you is when that emergency comes up, you just wanted to have access to money to meet that need right away. That was the original purpose of the rainy day fund. So now this line of credit could solve that problem for you. So as you can kind of see when I'm talking through this, you've come up with a solution where you've coupled a line of credit with a high-quality corporate bond portfolio, and you've met all three of those objectives, right? You've kept some level of stability. You've created an interest rate that's much greater than the 0% you might be getting at the bank. And you've created a, a facility, a line of credit, where you could get money really quick and easy if that emergency came up. The real benefit between the, the, the timing of using that line of credit as well is think back to March of this year when the stock market was down 35% from its peak. You don't really want to be selling stocks in an environment like that in order to get cash to, to go cover an expense. Because anybody willing to buy that stock from you is only going to pay 65 cents on the dollar. So having something like a credit facility or, or something that you could access as a short-term bridge or solution as uh, prices recover becomes really helpful. I know this year is unique, and we saw that rebound happen very quickly, but it's a perfect example of how that bridge through the line of credit made a very helpful resource for an investor. So again, nothing in this conversation is about creating a recommendation of what you should do. It's just really teaching you how to think. Let's go backwards. We said that we traditionally had a cash allocation, but why did we have it? And we said, oh, you know, the rainy day, emergency fund, things come up. And we started to define what that cash allocation was achieving for us. It was creating a level of, of safety that this account was out there to cover an emergency. Uh, the value stayed fairly stable. Um, and we had historically a small interest rate on it. Uh, when that disappeared, we started to discuss, hey, how could we substitute that? How could we come up with a different plan? So I took you through these steps where basically it says, okay, first, define the problem. Second, identify the objectives that you're trying to achieve. Third, you present a potential solution. And then the fourth step is you start to weigh the benefits. Now, I'm talking about something that is it's not going to be extremely impactful on a financial plan. It's just a small item of like, hey, how could I get a little bit more interest on this uh, money I used to hold in my checking or savings account? So when I say weigh the benefits, there might be a level of complexity to making these changes that I'm talking about that don't make a huge impact on your financial plan, which makes it so it's probably not a really good idea to implement it. So when you weigh these benefits, you have to look at, hey, making this change, what sort of impact um, will it have? 
and I, I jokingly say this, but you have to kind of measure the uh, grief to reward ratio. Like, how much time and effort is this going to take me? And what's going to be the ultimate benefit I yield from it? And in the article, I talked about this idea that, hey, most of us listening here, we know what it takes to refinance a mortgage. And man, it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of back and forth with a lender. Uh, it's a lot of documentation. It, all of it, 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 it's, it, it, it can feel like a root canal. So if you looked at a refinance where you would save $5 in your monthly payment, you're not going to do it, right? Because the grief to go through it versus the benefit it would generate just doesn't make a lot of sense. But there are people out there that have a sizable amount of their net worth that they traditionally like to hold in cash. That's okay. That's their preference. And some of those people um, could benefit from making a change where the interest generated from that sizable portion on their balance sheet would be meaningful to their expenses. So all of a sudden, generating an extra 1.5% or whatever it might be on a municipal bond portfolio that's tax-free, well, it could have a meaningful impact. So it really just depends on the person. But that's why it's so important to weigh the benefits. That's step four. The last step I'm going to describe, uh, step five, and you can go to the blog to see these all written out. I organize it all. But the last part is you have to seek wise counsel. You have to get a second opinion. You're going to come up with this strategy or idea or solution for something in your financial plan. I come up with them all the time. I love to tinker. I love to think through these things. I enjoy it. But what you want to do is you want to um, discuss it with your financial advisor or another trusted um, expert that you would consider a financial expert, and you want them to beat up your idea. You want them to poke holes in your plan. You want them to challenge your thinking, right? Because you want to make sure that you get a perspective beyond just your own. And this might surprise you, but I want you to know that my quote-unquote idea graveyard is really big. Most ideas that I come up with that I think might be a good plan, I talk to other people, I beat them up, and sometimes, hey, that's a lot of work and it's not enough impact. Or, hey, you didn't think about this other uh, unintended consequence that could come from this or whatever. I have a huge idea graveyard. But I also have this insatiable appetite to want to serve my clients better and come up with ways to make that optimal plan or most efficient plan. And in order to do that, you have to beat up a ton of different ideas to get to solutions that are succinct and impactful and make a huge difference on your financial plan. So I'm going to take you through those steps just one more time because I want you to to really gather most of from this uh, discussion on the process, right? I don't really care about this discussion of cash management and coming up with a, a, an ultimate conclusion. I want to teach you to fish. So this idea of step one, define what the problem is that you're trying to solve. Step two, you have to identify the objectives. If you're going to replace something you're doing now with something new, it has to fulfill those original objectives. Step three, you come up with a potential solution. Step four, you weigh the benefits. You are going to come up with a lot of solutions. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to come up with a lot of solutions that are a whole lot of work with not a lot of benefit. You need to throw those out the window. It's not worth investing your time into do not refinance your mortgage to save $5 a month. Trust me, just you'd be better off going to the beach and searching for gold. The last part, you have to get a second opinion. 
I have a lot of harebrained ideas. I read a lot about finance. I know a lot about stuff. I still come up with bad ideas. So you have to have a community of wise counsel of people you go to and say, what do you think of this? What are the pros and cons? What am I missing? Why wouldn't this work? What does a worst case scenario look like? And if you go through those steps with any item that you're trying to decide financially, whether it's to buy a house or to rent, whether it's to retire and take Social Security at 62 versus 67, I mean, throw any financial obstacle or decision or fork in the road and you go through those steps, that's going to give you a really good process for putting everything out on the table and deciphering what solution best fits for what you're trying to achieve. And again, I'm going to end with this. I don't want to be a broken record, but I want you to know that nothing about today's conversation was about cash management. We use that as a hypothetical. We use that as an example. I needed you to understand how you would go through the process, but everything today was about learning how to go through that process and understanding putting together a step-by-step plan for making financial decisions. And maybe you don't do this for yourself. Maybe your advisor does it for you, but it's really helpful knowing the process or even asking your advisor, what's your process? Because you don't want somebody that shoots from the hip. You don't want to get something where you wake up at 2 a.m. and you're like, oh, I think this is a good idea. Let's see if it works out, right? This is not one of those things where you want to ready, fire, aim. This is your financial plan. This is important stuff. This is your hard-earned money. You want to come up with conclusions that are rock solid. So I'll end there. I'll ask that you put comments on the bottom, rate the podcast. Most importantly, come back next week for more of my thoughts on money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.